From Carry the Load, these are Lessons from the Front. Stories of service and sacrifice from our military, veterans, first responders, and their families. Because we have infrastructure everywhere. So we're like a power company. You know, the power company has problems and when there's bad weather. Yeah. We're like a power company, except we're everywhere. <laughs> we're everywhere in the country. Like literally every few miles, because we have a cell tower every, every handful of miles. So no matter what the issue is. Yeah. And is is your responsibility the United States or global? Global. I have a COO and then the CEO is above him. So if, if but our CEO used to have my job, so he's quite involved in my job. So I get questions directly from him all the time. So it's almost kind of like I have two bosses, <laughs> which is <laughs> which is fun. So, so how did you learn this stuff then? Uh, same on the job. You know, I I learned long ago in the military that. This sounds obvious, but it's not to everybody. That um, the people at the ground level in the organization, whatever level that is, you know, in, at AT and T, it's the folks, at the union folks, and the first level managers we call them. But in the military, the most junior folks, they can teach you an absolute ton about whatever the business is, whatever mm -hmm. it is you're doing. And so I learned a long time ago. I have this story I actually tell at AT and T all the time about a petty officer who's one of the most junior petty officers in, in our training class and BUDS and SEAL training. And um, Petty Officer Brown was his name, and we called him Brownie. And he was this real skinny guy, um, very junior, um, not too long out of boot camp. And um, he went on to have a very distinguished career. And uh, in training, we were, we were on a uh, compass navigation course in the middle of the night, and Brownie was in the very back. And we were totally lost going up and down these hills around San Clemente Island. And we're under, the, we're under a tarp with a red light on the map for like the third time. So it was clear to everybody in the platoon behind us that we were lost. Finally, Brownie comes up and he was very quiet, didn't say much, pokes his head under and he goes, Sir, sirs, I think you're lost. Do you mind if I help you out? Because we passed that same spot three times now. And I said, Hey man, if you could figure it out, like sure. He gets under here and he points to the map and he says, we're right here. We were just right there and we've passed this spot three times. He says, we need to go down here and he starts pointing at night, he's pointing. And I said, I got a better idea. Why don't you, you run point? You, lead? <laughs> you run point and take us there. Sure enough, man, it was like less than 10 minutes and we were there. So I learned, I will never forget that story. I have probably told that story a dozen times at AT&T. Petty Officer Brown, you got to listen to Petty Officer Brown. So, how do you interpret that though for for your your younger guys, your 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 newer leaders that that have this feeling and this belief that they're supposed to know it all? Exactly. Yes, and that's it's the biggest um, it, it's the biggest mistake that leaders make as they move up in their career. One of the biggest mistakes. Arrogance is the number one mistake, but along with that is that you're smarter than everybody else. But isn't that kind of one and the same? It is. Um, one is is arrogance that you're just better than everyone else. The other one is that you're now smarter than everyone else because you got promoted. In fact, as you move up and your organization gets bigger, in a sense, you get dumber yes. because you know less and less about the broader organization. I have 29,000 people. I'm probably one of the least knowledgeable in the organization. If I go down the line, the people lower in the organization, they're the most knowledgeable about their domain. 
So I have to constantly ask a lot of questions and make myself vulnerable and almost make myself feel a little bit dumb, but I have to have the confidence to do that or I'll make mistakes constantly. In comparison to what you did in the military from a, from a leadership standpoint, what translates, you know, whether it's as a SEAL, just as a Naval officer in general, what translates really well into the civilian sector? Um, understanding how to motivate a bunch of people towards a common goal and how to get them to drive in a direction. Understanding how to communicate with people in a clear way, not overcomplicate things, again, to drive them in a common direction. All of those things that you learn in the military, um, selfless leadership, servant leadership, um, you're the least important person in the organization. The people on the front line, the grunts doing the work, they're the most important people in the organization. All of those skills that you learn in the military, they translate directly into corporate life. And it, you, you think that it's, it's a lot different, but in the end, it's really not. Leadership is leadership no matter where you go. And I think in corporate America, they generally recognize that. There's a lot of uh, corporate America leadership classes that are based on military-type leadership training. Though it may not say that in the corporate, <laughs> it may not say that in the corporate training. Why, why do you suppose that is? I think you see a lot of strong leaders that come out of the military into corporate into the corporate world, and they know how to treat their people, they know how to motivate their people, they know how to pe set goals, keep people on course, driving towards a common goal. I mean, if you can um, if you can build rapport and respect with a group of people in the military and get them to go do things that can get them killed or injured really badly. If you can motivate people to do that in the, in the military, you can do almost anything you need to do in corporate life. And the biggest misnomer in corporate life, by the way, is, well, the military, I've had people say this to me, it's easy in the military, you just order them and they do it. it no, it doesn't work that way in the military. <laughs> when it comes to somebody risking their life, you can't just tell them, I'm gonna sit here and I want you to run out there and hope you don't get killed. Good luck. It doesn't work that way. You know, I'm listening to you. You're one of the most soft-spoken people that I've ever met. And that's not just militarily. That's just, but yet when you say things, they're things of importance. They're things of value. And my guess is that you probably kind of led with the idea that I have to raise my voice. There's either some loud booms going off or I really need to get somebody's attention. Right. Is that, is that a fair? Yeah, 100%. I, I will tell you, first of all, when I started in corporate life, I had some really good human resources people that took me aside and mentored me. Uh, because it's a big shift coming from the SEAL teams. It was peacetime military when I left, but we had been doing shipboardings in the Gulf. Um, and so peacetime, but not really. But this was not during the actual war. Then coming, you know, right into corporate America. So I had some human resources, human resources people that gave me some good advice. And some of the things were like, um, if you're talking to somebody and they're sitting down, you need to sit down. Because you're a big guy, your head's shaved. Um, everybody knows your background, even though you don't talk about it. So you sit when they sit. Try not to cross your arms, it looks intimidating. Don't raise your voice. Don't stare at people in the eye too long. It makes them nervous. Um, don't cuss. But do you think that that's a generational thing? Yeah, I mean, the society has, has obviously changed over the years. And, you know, uh, 
you can be purposeful about how you look at somebody mm -hmm. and you can throw in voice inflection and you can smile sometimes and that can be disarming. So I try and be purposeful about that stuff just because of my background, which seems like I'm overthinking it, but believe it or not, it's, it's coaching that I've gotten from people. But I think our society is, uh, you, you know, it's a little softer than it used to be. Not to take that in a negative way, but I have four kids and, uh, and foster children. Um, we foster and I've, I always tell them, I want you to be one of the toughest people in society and that's how I've raised you. So mom and dad are hard on you, but we want you to be tough people because the world needs tough people. Define what you mean by tough from the standpoint of what you expect from your employees and how you're trying to, to raise your, your children. This may sound like a tangent, but I was thinking about this earlier as an example. You know, when I went to Iraq, the base got rocketed and mortared three, four days a week. But to me, that was pretty safe. Um, I remember working out in the gym one day and a rocket hit right outside and you heard it hit the wall because it happened to hit the cement wall, the one side of the gym that was cement and the other sides were, you know, corrugated aluminum. Thankfully, it hit the right wall. <laughs> And everyone just kind of stopped and looked over and then went back to working out. Um, I came home and I told that story to a couple of my civilian friends. And the way I explain it is every time that happened and I started to feel sorry for myself or started to feel like, oh, I should get scared or nervous. I think about there's people out there every day who are going on hits every night. There's guys who are standing at guard shacks all day long for 12 hours. They could get blown up by a vehicle-borne IED. I have nothing to complain about. I'm one of the safest people in Iraq right now, and you know, I, I, I just need to suck it up. Like they tell you in training all the sure. time, shut up and suck it up. Um, quit complaining. Embrace the suck. Exactly. <laughs> and that's how I've raised my kids. Like, You can complain you didn't get what you want for Christmas. You can complain you didn't get the grade you want. You can complain about this or that figure it out. Like I mentioned, we foster kids and, you know, these kids come in the house and we tell our kids the story of where this kid came from. And then immediately followed by, not in front of the foster children, obviously, but immediately followed by any problem you think you have, it's about this big compared to their, their problems in their life. So don't ever complain to me. And that's just how we raised our kids. There's no excuses. You know, some of these, these foster children that you're talking about, and you've, you've told me some of these stories, You've never been in their shoes. Very Sorry. few people have been in their shoes, and they're they're terrible shoes to have uh, to have walked in. How do you guide someone like that when you've never been in their shoes? It's hard. It's really hard. Um, it's taught our kids. And, and can you give an example of, of? Yeah, I'll give you an example because it it has happened. We've had um, nine or ten kids. Mm -hmm. We've probably had um, four, five that have stayed for any amount of time like three months or more some a handful of them for a year um and there's a there's a common thing that happens with all of them which there's a psychologist who could explain it to me but i, I can't put it into you know clinical terms but um they will tell you stories after they've been with you for a few weeks and you start to build trust and mm -hmm. you know you know they start to tell you stories of things that have happened but the interesting part of it is and that's not an uncommon story with, our, with kids we've had, the, the saddest and most interesting part is when they tell you these stories, there's no emotion. It's like they're telling you a story they read in a book, which just makes you want to cry because 
if my kids told a story like that, they would be, oh my gosh, like this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. But they tell it just like, this is just normal because they're so traumatized that this is just another day in the life for them. So it's sad stuff, but, um, how do you deal with it? And you know, you just got to give the kids a lot of compassion, take care of them, love them. Um, and the ultimate goal for us and why we're in fostering is we want to show these kids, this is a stable household. You know, this is what a normal family unit could look like. And hopefully someday you can strive for this. Not that we're perfect or we're the best example in the world, but that's our goal. So how is that experience with the foster children? How have you been able to, um, you know, process that and translate that into leadership in a corporate role? It's, uh, it definitely gives you a whole new level of compassion because you realize that <clears throat> this kid in my home has seen and heard things that I've certainly never seen or heard, and neither of my kids. And you go into a corporate role and you, you're around your employees. A lot of them have probably had similar experiences or mm -hmm. something traumatic that happened in their life, or they're just less capable of dealing with whatever trauma they have had in their life. It may not have been as serious as one of my foster kids, but um, it gives you more compassion and more understanding and teaches you how to kind of meet people where they are and try and you know, be a little bit more, uh, a little bit more forgiving sometimes. Doesn't mean you become soft um, and don't have high expectations for people because that's a necessity, I think. Um, but it gives how, you a little but how more But how do you differentiate? How do you compartmentalize those two? Well, yeah, it's hard. I mean, I try and ask questions without trying to discover and become a counselor and uncover what happened in their life. It's just trying to get them to say, um, say things or, or cue off of things that, hey, I'm having a hard time with this because of, and help me try and understand what the issue is. Like when this person's under a lot of stress, they seem to just have a really difficult time performing. Okay, well, let me figure out how to get them down the road, do the things they need to do without putting them under a ton of stress. They don't respond well to that. So maybe give them the assignment a little earlier than I typically would give somebody. So that they're, you know, just as an example. But again, it's, uh, it's like flexibility and leadership and trying to meet people where they're at. But again, in the end, I'll say it again, you've got you've to expect um, greatness from people or they're never going to get there, just like we do with our kids. And so if I remember correctly, though, you, you're still, I mean, you allow the, the foster children that little bit of grace when they, when they come in the door. Mm -hmm. But then you ratchet up exactly what we just said pretty quickly, if I understood you correctly. Yes, of course, you got to give them a little grace initially. Hey, we had, we had a, a, a girl that came in, she was, again, nine years old, and she, not the same one, this is a different one. She came in, it was the first night, she'd been there for two hours, we were eating dinner. We're sitting there eating, and she wasn't saying anything. And all of a sudden, she bangs both hands on the table and stands up, and she goes, this food tastes like shit. You got anything else in this house to eat? And my kids, my kids turned and looked at me like, oh God, dad's going to gonna gonna, gonna 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 kill this little girl. <laughs> and the funny thing is my wife, who is like the sweetest, nicest, she's from Virginia, just a sweet woman. Um, she is the one that's harder on the foster kids. She, she just said, um, young lady, let's go in the kitchen. We're going to have a conversation. And I said, let me handle it, honey. It's okay. 
And I took her to the side and I said, you know, let's, let, let's just think about this a little bit, you know. Mrs. S made the meal and we, well, we talked through it a little bit. She says, okay, okay. And after two months, um, she really was an angel. She was one of my favorites. Awesome. Great kid. And most of them are like that. You end up really getting attached to them because they're such good kids and they just need a stable environment with a lot of love, structure, discipline, and they end up being awesome kids. Well, and, and the reality is leadership and parenting are pretty darn similar. Oh, yeah. And so... And coaching a team. And Yes. And running a platoon. They're all very similar. Right? They, yeah, they, I mean, they... they Absolutely. They're Structure, discipline, similar. goals, teamwork, accountability. accountability, right. Thanks, Chris. Thank you. Awesome. If this resonated with you in the least, please subscribe and like, and please, please, please share it with at least one person. These are the stories that make us uniquely American. These are the stories that preserve the integrity of our nation.